And we are live streaming. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream for Monday, December 27th, 2021. Almost done with the year. Had our last Sunday of football for 2021 yesterday. Want to thank you all for joining us, whether you are seeing us on YouTube or Twitch, Facebook, Twitter, or in the corner of our site in the little widget. We're listening to us afterwards on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Thank you all for joining us while we review week 16. Please subscribe to the show on your platform of choice. Remember, we are here every day, weekdays, that is, 1 o'clock Eastern, a talking football. And I'm joined, as always, on Monday by Ian O'Connor from Edge Sports to talk about decisions that coaches made and um, – the thing about this week was that there were a lot of them, and they were good. Uh, I do not remember the number, but I have seen multiple people on the Internet pointing out that more coaches went for it on fourth and short this week than, like, ever before, and they had a lot of success doing it. So um, we won. We've won the argument. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what uh, uh, Frank is writing the Risky Business column about, and it's a, our numbers when I was looking at it this morning. Um, came out the, the like non-obvious, not just fourth and shorts, but non-obvious kind of late game situation goes. We had 35 of them out of a total of, I think it was about 100 opportunities uh, for a 35% go rate, which is the highest of the season so far. Highest that I can remember. I don't think we had one that high um, anytime last year, or really maybe anytime ever. So it was a, a very good week, uh, as you mentioned, for, for analytics and, the, and some really good fourth down decisions this week. Yeah, the biggest game of the week was the Buffalo Bills at the New England Patriots, and I believe that both of these teams had four fourth down goes, not counting the Patriots, you know, at the end of the game in desperation. Uh, the Bills, with their sixth game of the year, with DVOA over 50%, like they are absurdly inconsistent, but when they are good, they are really good, and Josh Allen was fantastic and the bills and patriots are tied and i think there's a little bit of overstatement of what a statement the bills made in this game if the two games had been switched and the bills had won the first and the patriots would won the second we would be talking instead about the statement that the patriots made and, and essentially they're tied, but the Bills do have the tiebreaker, so the Bills are probably going to win the division. Uh, let's talk about coaching decisions in this one because uh, so many good fourth down goes. It was very exciting for a Patriots fan like me to see Bill Belichick actually get aggressive. Yeah, it was really, really fun to see. Like from the get-go, he was was on it. Um, you mentioned each of these coaches had four fourth down goes. What was really cool about this game, you know, we saw the the Brandon Staley game last week where went for it. They converted a couple, but didn't didn't always get the scores out of it. And in this one, New England had four fourth down goes. They had two on two separate drives, both of which resulted in touchdowns. Um, Buffalo had four fourth down goes on four separate drives. Three of those four they converted, and those three they ended up uh, scoring touchdowns. So again, just another kind of win in the argument, at least for this week, of you know teams going for it. And Buffalo, you know, had the one they were set to go on like fourth and six or fourth and seven. I think they were going to go for it. There's really no way to tell. New England jumped off sides and they they went for it on the fourth and two from the 34, which is all around really good, um, really good calls. The 
Belichick came into this game only 15th in our coach rankings, uh, 29th in CCI. As you know, he's been very conservative this year, whereas Sean McDermott came into this game fifth overall, but only, I think, 13th or 14th or around the middle of the pack in CCI for him. But, you know, Belichick was just – I guess you can't really – Overstate, it was just very good in this one. Added 14.6% in pre-snap win probability uh, on those four decisions, which is very good. That's a you know averaging you know almost uh, you know between five and six or four and five percent there. Really good. McDermott had the four, and he his added up to a total of 9.4. Again, really good decisions. Not as big on those. The Bills, I think we had favored once they got up. Um, they were high in win probability, so not huge swings, but still almost 10% for him. 14, just. Really good all around. Like I said, you can't really – I don't think we can really overstate how awesome it was to watch that game and those decisions. Yes, Chad Reuter points out in the discussion, going for it on fourth was Belichick's New Year's resolution. I guess uh, some reporter asked him after the game yep. what his New Year's resolution was. He didn't want to answer that stupid yeah. question, but yeah. that's what it was. So more power to him. It will certainly help him in you know when they face their – annual freak out closer than it should be game against the Miami Dolphins two weeks from now. Uh, Both of these teams have fairly easy schedules the rest of the way. The Bills play the Falcons, who, you know, our numbers think are really bad, despite the fact that they're seven and eight because they've beaten all the other bad teams. And uh, the best of the worst. Probably killed by the Bills and then the Jets. And then the Patriots have the Jaguars and the Dolphins in their last two games. Yeah, it's interesting, too, with Belichick this week, kind of coming off that decision we talked about last week, the fourth and seven, uh, fourth and goal from the seven. And on Monday, um, I think it was before we jumped on here, he had come out and kind of explained it. And it was interesting that he didn't, like completely write off the idea of going for it, you know, that it went through his head. It was a long explanation, kind of an unusual, I guess, explanation from him. Belichick is kind of known for, for he sounded like short he answers. Yeah. Yes. It was not a short, curt answer. Like he thought mm-hmm. he, he sounded like he had thought it through. Yeah. So it was, it's interesting out on the heels of that to see him this week come out. Uh, like you said, Buffalo as inconsistent as they are still knowing you know, that it's going to take more than than punts and field goal, you know, field position and field goals to win that game. Uh, to see him come out like that was, was really awesome. And then you mentioned, too, the, the couple of the games coming up for Buffalo and Pittsburgh. Another one that I think is really interesting to look at, uh, I guess we'll get to one of these teams here in just a second, but looking at Cincinnati and Cleveland in the AFC North could be really fun because said Cleveland's got, what, Pittsburgh next week. Uh, Cincinnati's got the Chiefs. Cleveland wins and, and Cincinnati loses. They would be playing – depending on what Baltimore does, we'll be playing for the division in week 18, which would be pretty awesome. So lots of good, basically just lots of good, especially in the AFC, pretty much every, every spot's up for grabs uh, in that conference. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good playoff race. Uh, Speaking of Cleveland Browns, let's rewind it a day to Christmas and talk about the Browns and the Packers. Uh, Hitchhiker's Pie says, even though they lost, would Belichick's newfound aggression on fourth down make you more confident voting for him as coach of the year? Uh, I think I would want to look at the whole year rather than just the one game. So probably not. I don't know how I feel about Belichick as coach of the year. When I sort of thought after the Buffalo, the first Buffalo win that he was coach of the year, it was sort of based on the idea that he probably would win one of the next two games. And instead they lost both of them while, while the Colts look fantastic right now. And Reich 
makes fantastic fourth down decisions and has coached up his team despite injuries and COVID and all that stuff. And um, it's a it's a tough decision right now for coach of the year. I I I, I don't quite know who to pick to be perfectly honest. Um, Matt Lafleur was uh, my uh, last year was the Edge Sports Coach of the Year. My pick was Sean McDermott last year, but Matt Lafleur was the Edge Sports Coach of the Year. So let's talk about his moves against Cleveland on Christmas Day. Yeah, a little bit of good, a little bit of bad. Uh, the good was early. They had on their first possession after Cleveland had gone down, scored, missed the extra point. Uh, so Green Bay's down six nothing. Ended up having our fifth best call of the week. It was that fourth and one on their own thirty four. Good decision to go for it early in the game. You just see. I think, you know, 90% of coaches are going to punt here and just let the game play out, especially with Green Bay being a, a heavy favorite in this one, not to, you know, put the, try not to put themselves in a hole if they don't get it. But he made the right decision to go for it. It was a 4.8% increase in pre-snap win probability. Not sure how much this actually plays into it, but one thing I thought was interesting in the decision here, a lot of times, especially in these situations early, you'll see them get third and one or third and two, and they pick up, you know, no yards or a yard and punt. But on the play prior to this, they had third and nine, picked up eight and got down to fourth and one. Just kind of in the back of my mind wondering if there's if kind of there was a psychological thing like, hey, you know, we just picked up eight of the nine. You know, we've got Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, Aaron Jones had a, a run, a, a pitch or a handoff off to the right that was pretty open. Um, but regardless of, of why he made the decision, you know, was the correct call. Um, just really awesome to see a coach do that that early. We saw the Rams do it against Green Bay when they were already in a in a hole. Um, didn't convert that one, but Green Bay did convert. And it was interesting too. So they converted this. They ended up punting. They punted on fourth and six from their own 42, which is ironic. <clears throat> a little bit of foreshadowing for what happened later in the game. I mentioned he had some good and some bad. The bad call ended up being our worst fourth down decision of the week was also a fourth and six at their own 42. So started the game that way, ended it with two minutes, 14 seconds left, choosing to punt. This one is. You know, it's this very this one comes up a lot where you yes. lose a lot of game-winning chance, but the fact is that it is very difficult for a coach to, if they blow it, to explain to the media why he went for it on a fourth and not one in his own mm -hmm. side of the field near the end of the with game. With the lead. Yeah, with the yeah. lead. And this one, you know, the Packers, Baker Mayfield threw three interceptions, uh, all led to Packers touchdowns. I think if I remember correctly, one of those was a pick six. Um, by Razul Douglas, who's been awesome this year since since coming to Green Bay. But this one, you know, how many times, though, do we see a guy, you know, Baker Mayfield, not the best quarterback in the league, obviously, but a capable quarterback? And how often do you see him? He only had one have a bad other game? game this year. He only had one other game this year with multiple interceptions. Oh, wow. So, yeah, even, you know, a rare bad game. But even we saw Matt Stafford had three picks yesterday but made some big throws at the end of the game to, to kind of put that one away. So it's just because you're having a bad game, you know, and it's the Browns over there who you know, don't have Odell Beckham anymore, which whether that's good or bad, you know, can be debated, but still a capable quarterback you mentioned doesn't have, but now two multi-touchdown or multi-interception games to give them the ball with the last chance where if they're going to get a field goal to win it, and that's all they need, likely going to be with no time left on the clock. Um, you know, if I'm LaFleur and Green Bay, I'm, you know, I want to go down with Rodgers like Brandon Staley does. If you don't get it, Green Bay still had two timeouts, a two-minute warning. You know, if even if Cleveland picks up a first down, um, Green Bay still has that two-minute warning and two timeouts to stop them at holding to a field goal and give Rodgers 30 seconds, 35 seconds, whatever it may be, to, to get a, get them in field goal range. 
I would rather do that than to uh, punt the ball away and not have Rodgers even get a shot if they're able to get a field goal. And it was only a two-point lead, so a field goal loses it. So luckily for the Packers, though, came up clutch, got another interception, which probably should have been a pass interference call on Green Bay, got away with it, and got the interception to essentially end the game there. It was our third most impactful play of the week. The Browns had gotten up to the 50-yard line, third and 10, so had two shots at it with 50 seconds left, but the interception cost uh, the Browns 46.9% of their win probability. They still had three time, all three of their timeouts, I believe. So it, they were still like around one, one and a half percent, not all the way down to zero, but uh, obviously just an absolute dagger in that one that, that ended the game basically. Yeah. It's interesting. The Packers are still really low in DVOA. They're only 10th overall eighth weighted. Uh, this was their third best game of the year by DVOA, 35%. But they are 6-2 and two in one-possession games this year. They cannot depend on opponents mm-hmm. losing because they blow extra points yeah. in the playoffs. I just, um, you know, the, the interesting it's similar to how they were two years ago. It is sim- very similar to two years ago. And the thing is, the Packers are going to probably, not definitely, probably be getting back their best offensive lineman, their best cornerback, and one of the best cornerbacks in the league, and their best edge rusher. And so they're going to be a different team in the playoffs than they are now. But still, like based on the team that they've been the last few weeks, you could not, even at home, you you could not favor this team to beat Tampa Bay or Dallas. Mm-mm. No, they, they could definitely obviously do it. But yeah, as far as being favored, you know, they just – the game against Baltimore, you know, they were up pretty big and let them come back. It's so I think it's kind of like that defense, uh, like they had been in the past. Remember some years where they they bend and bend, but they don't break, and they do just enough, to, you know, with the turnovers, which you can never count on, especially against uh, you know a Tampa Bay um, that you're you know you're not going to get three interception games from Brady very often. You know, they, even in the playoffs last year, though, he had three, and they still weren't able to win it. So yeah, you definitely you can't can't count on that, and it's going to get tougher and tougher from here on out for them. So they're uh, with LaFleur usually making the right decisions too, more often than not he does. So that will help them. Um, but yeah, they're just not playing, you know, as good, as good as their record is. I think, like you said, DVOA, they're not playing as well as what their record indicates, though they're still, I think you said eighth and weighted. So yeah, Hitchhiker's Pie points out that the 2019 Packers and the 2015 Panthers both lived off these scripts before getting exposed in the playoffs. Um, yeah, I don't remember a team that was like this, that was much lower in DVOA than their record because of close wins that won a Super Bowl. Uh, There are teams that just went on runs in the playoffs where they were just a much, you know, they snuck into the playoffs and then went on a run like the 2012 Ravens (laughs) or the Giants both times, 2007 and 2011. But I don't remember a team that was like 13 and three or 14 and two, but like ninth or 10th in DVOA that then went on and turned it on in the playoffs. And all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. right. Everybody thought Kansas city was that team last year and they weren't. And like the Carolina Panthers, both in 2015 and in 2003 were like that. And the 2008 Cardinals turned it on in the playoffs. That's, that's probably the best example of a team that was lower in DVOA and then turned it on in the playoffs, but they were only nine and seven in the regular season. So it's not like they were winning a bunch of close games in the regular season. That's closer to like the 2012 Ravens. So yeah, 
Um, it, you know, I think if the Packers win, uh, despite being pretty low in DVOA, win the Super Bowl, I think they'll be the first team that, that's like this, that it's not just that they turned it on in the playoffs, it's that they had lots of wins in the regular season, but their underlying play-by-play I mean, this is one of the most, I think after this game, one of the most overperforming teams ever by Pythagorean wins. So they just, they've just been amazingly good in close games this year. Yeah. Scraping by. <laughs> uh, don't forget to check out Ian with the updated coach rankings video on Wednesday. Ian and Katie George will have that posted on both edgesports.com and at Football Outsiders. Let's talk about the most impactful plays of the week. The plays that had the most impact on the game in terms of win probability, either positive or negative. Where are we starting with? And number five comes in. It's number five, but it's probably the most exciting play from the weekend. So we've got uh, the Bears kind of pulling a a John Harbaugh here and going for the win at the end of the game, down one after uh, Jimmy Graham got the touchdown to pull him within one in the, the snowy game up in Seattle, choosing to go for two with a minute and one second left going for the win and just have the amazing catch by Demir Bird to get up. Uh, Seahawks tried to push him out of bounds, got a foot and knee in, held onto the ball with one hand, uh, and could pretty much doubled their win probability up 25%. And just, really, they were still underdogs to win, though. I'm silly. Really, oh, because I was going to say, it's because there was time left. Yeah, still a minute and one second left. So they went oh, from 24 okay. I was going to say, I'm really surprised that it didn't increase their win probability more, but I forgot there was still time on the clock. Yep, and Seattle still had two timeouts at that point. So getting the ball after the kickoff, a minute left, two timeouts, uh, was pretty much a 50-50 uh, proposition there after oh, the Ch- taking Chad the Chad Reuter, by the way, points out a couple of teams that might be like this year's Packers. 2015 Denver, they were, I believe, eighth in DVOA. And the 2006 Colts, who I think were like seventh, and both of those teams went 12 and four, so not quite as good a record as the Packers are going to end up with. But yeah, that's pretty close. I think those two teams, those two teams certainly turned it on in the playoffs. The Colts, especially on defense, right? They completely were a completely different defense in the playoffs in 2006. So that's 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 uh, those those two teams, I think, fall into that category it's probably not right to say that there's never been a team like the Packers that's gone on to win the Super Bowl there there have been but um but never can hope that they extent as this year's Packers and yeah, yeah that's I hope that another they... similarity between the 2006 Colts and this year's Packers is the Colts got back Bob Sanders and the Packers are probably probably going to get back Zadarius Smith Jair Alexander and or David Bakhtiari Yep, and that's what I was going to say. Getting hopefully they could kind of do that same thing as you mentioned, having those guys come back. It's always kind of you never know exactly how it's how they're going to come back with all that time off. But as good as they are, you'd expect them to at least be be a, a big help there uh, because the defense was really good. I forget what they were DVOA. They were top ten, I think, at one point through like the first half of the season or first six seven games before they lost Alexander and. Um, Uh, Now the Packers are 21st on defense, but second on offense behind only Tampa Bay. So hopefully those guys coming back for them will will help out, but that's to be seen, like you said. It's not a guarantee that they come back, but probably uh, we'll have those guys back. All right, back to the uh, biggest uh, biggest, uh, plays of the week. Uh, Number four, Jaguars and Jets. 
Yeah, number four was the uh, Trevor Lawrence scramble. Uh, got 26 yards down to the five, setting them up for potentially the game-winning touchdown. It did not end up happening, but at that point, setting them up first and goal at the five with 32 seconds left, giving them time for four cracks at the end zone, which they got four. Um, we'll come up to that that last one in a minute, but this play to set them up down there at the five was a 33.2% increase. Good for number four in the win probability swings. Number three mentioned was the Browns and uh, Packers. Baker Mayfield's interception cost them 46.9% in win probability. And number two, I was just mentioning the Jaguars when they had fourth and goal at the one, 12 seconds left, basically last play of the game, barring a defensive penalty. Incomplete pass. There was a penalty. Uh, Jaguars fans thought they, you know, maybe had a little hope there that it was going to be on the defense, but it was on the offense for an illegal shift. So regardless of what happened on that play, it wouldn't have counted. And this one turned the ball over a 52.5% decrease. So a, a big loss there, obviously, into the game. And then a similar, similar play on number one, you've got really a, a good game or a close game, I should say, between two bad teams coming down to the wire. And uh, the, the uh, Lions actually had first and goal at the nine um, at, with 39 seconds left. So same situation where they've got four cracks at the end zone, plenty of time to get it there. Uh, but the pass on first down is intercepted uh, by the Falcons. So the, the Lions. Oh, it's a misprint. It should say first and nine on yeah. the Atlanta nine. Yeah, so that was was first down. So a tough break there, but you know Tim Boyle kept him in it and took him down with a chance chance to win there. But great great break for the Lions draft pick. And yep. I will point out this was the Football Outsiders pick of the week, and the pick of the week is now ten and six against the spread. So the Falcons was or the uh, what was the, the Lions plus five point five was the pick of the week. Okay. The line ended at plus seven, but when I recorded the pick of the week nice. video, it was plus 5.5. So that's what I count when I nice. count up the pick of the week. And so it covered. And so the pick of the week is 10 and six. Yeah. And a good, interesting thing on this one too, Scott Brown, who we were doing our podcast this morning, mentioned the line closed, I think there at 42 and a half. So sitting at 36 there, you know, was, at the, I don't think anyone betting the over would have gotten it anyway because if you because they probably it, would not have kicked the extra point. Yes, because the game was over. Yes, no, and they would have. No, been. they would have kicked the extra point because with 39 seconds left, if he hits on this first one, there's still 30 seconds left for Atlanta to come back. So you do kick the extra point, and it does yeah. get the over. That's right. That's what we'll, um, the other thing was not it's not likely, but if they had taken up all 40 seconds somehow, you know, if someone accidentally comes down and bounds at that point. But yeah, most likely there would have been, uh, you know, that extra point would have been huge for for a lot of people there potentially. But it did not happen, unfortunately, for those people and for Lions fans. But like you said, help draft stock. I know the Jaguars losing keeps them, I think, at the number one draft pick. But Detroit's still there at number two and in, in play for the top pick. Yeah, it's it's, inter it's going to be interesting. Uh, because of the fact that there really are no quarterbacks who deserve to go at the top of the draft this year, but the quarterback is such an important position and the lions need one. Yeah. Um, or will they go? With, they've, I, they've got Jared Goff. <laughs> a lot of people feel pass rushers are the top players in this year's draft. So um, I'm guessing the Jaguars will go pass rusher. Number one. Uh, let's uh, don't forget by the way if you are watching right now please ask questions in the uh, comments please subscribe to the show and watch us every day rate us five stars especially if you're listening afterwards on the football outsiders podcast network let us talk about the best coaching decisions of the week and so many of them this week that like for example 
none of those Bills Patriots fourth down decisions make it. They just yeah, didn't a couple have of those change. Yeah, a couple of those were even four percent that still didn't make it. Number five um, was four point eight, almost five percent, and that was the Matt Lafleur decision we mentioned at the top, where they went forward on fourth and one from their own thirty-four on their opening drive was 4.8% increase. Interestingly, too, all five of our best decisions this week were successful fourth down go, so that's always nice to see. Uh, number four was the Jaguars and Jets. Jaguars down three into the first quarter. Pretty straightforward one here, not much to explain. It's a fourth and one at the Jets 39. That's a long field goal for Matt Wright, 40, 57 yards. Uh, and, uh, you know, the punt really doesn't do you much there. So Bevel making the right call to go for it. It was a 5.8% increase in pre-snap win probability and ended up getting a 20-yard gain off of it. So big play there. Number three, Vic Fangio, who we'll see on both of these lists. Interestingly, you know, we kind of think of him as more of a conservative decision maker. This year, um, he's been year, much more aggressive than last year. He was the most conservative coach in the league. Yeah, and he finished in our coach rankings. He was down um, at like 28th or 29th this year, he's up actually in the top 10. And that's when we get a lot of people, a lot of criticism for like, Oh, you've got Fangio higher than Belichick and this and that. Well, he's been 13th in CCI and 13th in EPI. So they haven't been a horrible team on the field. And he's also been pretty good in it with his fourth down decision-making. So that props him up pretty high. Uh, again, he's number nine coming into this week and he might drop based on his couple errors and some of the coaches around him that did really well, but still, well, he, he had a good decision here fourth and one at his own 34 with five and a half minutes left trailing by four still has two timeouts. This is one where I think we see a lot of coaches punt the ball unless you're a Dan Campbell or a Brandon Staley. You know, there's a handful of guys. Fangio's one I would not have expected to, to go for it here, to be honest, um, as good, as much, as better, as much as he's been better this year. This is one that I just, I didn't think there was any way he was going to do it while I was watching it. And he did. So it was, a uh, 6% increase, and they ended up getting 16 yards on this one. So that's another thing we kind of talk about is there's always that opportunity for the overage yardage on fourth down versus just picking up the one yard that just is worth so much more there. Number two, we've got uh, Ron Middleton that was in for Robert Sala uh, for the Jets this week. <clears throat> he ends up on both lists as well. Here he's number two on our best decisions. Fourth and goal with the one. Again, pretty straightforward unless you're at the end of the half. You're going to – even sometimes then you'll go for it. But here, you know, you don't see many coaches kicking on fourth and goal at the one anymore. And this one was a 7% increase in pre-snap win probability. And the Jets were able to convert for a touchdown there to extend their lead. Uh, tackle so eligible play, one of three, I believe, three yeah. tackle eligible touchdowns yesterday. And now I know what Ron Middleton looks like. Yeah. And that is a great beard. It is. Yeah, I actually completely forgot that Salah was out of this game this morning. Um, we're looking and, and really, you know, someone caught the mistake for us. But yeah, Ron Middleton had a pretty good game overall. Um, we'll see. He had a big error late in the game that we'll get to on our worst. But stepping in, did a did a pretty good job there. <clears throat> and the number one is a guy, or the fill-in coach, Rich Basaccia for the Raiders. He's on the list of the best here, but has not been good this year. I think, um, if I remember correctly, someone was asking us recently that when John Gruden resigned after week five, um, you know, Basaccia was in those first few weeks. When we did our first coach rankings after week nine, I believe it was, I think in CCI, the Raiders combination was like top 10 at that point and have fallen all the way down to 28th in CCI this year, 29th overall. So Basaccia has just kind of really 
really ruined their their ranking um, there. But this one, he made the right call here, fourth and one on the 46, leading by one early in the fourth. You know, not, I was kind of surprised to see him. You know, most coaches, I think, are going to go for it here. But the way he's coached and been pretty conservative, I was a little surprised to see him go for it. But he made the right call there. It was an 8.7% increase in pre-snap win probability, and they were able to convert on that one, which is a big conversion for them. All right, let's talk about the five worst play calls of the week, the decisions that had the most negative impact on win probability. And what's nice is that only a couple of these are kind of that high. Some of them, these are even the fifth and fourth are kind of low. Yeah, these are ones that are especially number five, even number three, the number is going to be up there. But when we get to it, it's kind of a, you know, could go either way. But number five was from all the way back Thursday night, 49ers and Titans. 49ers were down seven, nine and a half minutes left. It was fourth and nine at the Tennessee 43. And this was just like five minutes prior, six minutes at the end of the third quarter. There was a tie game and the 49ers went for it on fourth and six at the Tennessee 40. But this time they choose to punt. And, you know, fourth and nine's a long way. Nine and a half minutes left. The punt worked out. They got it down to the three. Um, and they were ended up getting the ball back and able to tie it. But it ended up being a 3.7% error to punt. And this is one we kind of talked about this morning. There, there's an argument that could be made against it. It's a smaller one. You know, that three and a half, you know, is, is a decent amount. But really, this one is just kind of – so we, we, we stand by it and defend it. But, you know, not as bad. Like you said, we've had a lot of really good decisions this week that, you know, would normally push some of these out of our top five. So that one ends up being the error. Um, number five. Number four, Vic Fangio. He's got number three and number four. This one's a fourth and three at the Vegas 37, trailing by one late in the third quarter. It's a long field goal, you know, not out of reach for McManus by any means, but in kind of that middle range where you miss, which they did, and you're giving up the ball pretty much at midfield, losing by one, and it's a fourth and three. Uh, you know, a punt in that situation does you really no good at field, flipping field position. So like the going forward a little bit better in the field goal, only a 4.2% um error here so nothing huge but still would have liked to see him go for it there be a little bit more aggressive I guess for what it's worth when it came down to it that best decision he made was late in the game so when it was coming down to the wire he made the correct call a little bit earlier on maybe thinking there's there's a lot of time left um wanting to just take that take the it would have been a two-point lead but unfortunately missed it in that situation number three is one that's a little bit questionable and it's kind of interesting the way it played out the Broncos we're down four, it was seven to three with 253 left in the second quarter. Both teams still have all three timeouts, fourth and one at their own 17. So the model has this as a 4.9% error to punt. And the way you kind of look at it, you know, it if you punt here, you, you basically give the Raiders likely the last possession and they get the ball after halftime. So they can get that kind of double dip there and get a couple points or get some points there. If you don't get it, and they have the ball at your 17, they're going to score probably pretty quickly. Even if it's just a field goal and you're able to stop them, you've got some time to answer. We kind of talk about that a lot, being able to answer. But the way it played out, I think it ended up being a Vegas fumble that the Broncos then got a field goal off of. Then the very next play for the Raiders after the kickoff was an interception taken down to the one. The Broncos got a touchdown. So they got 10 points out of it after punting, you know, and taking a lead into halftime. But on a fourth and one like that. You can't you know, count on fumbles and interceptions. Exactly. In your way. 
Absolutely, especially not two out of three plays or two plays in a row, I guess, for the Raiders, both turnovers there. But, yeah, just based on the time at the end of the half, um, the fact the Raiders are getting the ball there, you don't want to give them that that double dip opportunity. So that ends up being 4.9%. Number two is kind of a tough one. So I know, Aaron, um, we talk about it all the time. Uh, you all listening have probably heard us talking about kicking a field goal to go from three to six we think is horrible. But this is one you're kicking a field goal, and this is the Jets with a minute 49 left, fourth and goal at the two, kicking a field goal to go from two to five to where a field goal cannot beat you. So that might seem like the right call, but it's not. And I saw actually someone um, on, on Twitter saying, you know, I, I don't think the Jets might have been a Jets reporter, didn't think they should have kicked it. You know, go for it, put the game away. If you get the touchdown, the extra point, you're up nine with a minute 40 left, and it's, the game's pretty much over. And people saying, well, you know, the way it played out, if we would have kicked the field goal or if we would have gone for it and not gotten it, the way Lawrence and the Jaguars moved down the field so quickly, we would have lost on a field goal anyway. But you can't can't look at it like that, as we know. So going for it, you know, when I looked ran the numbers this morning, the Jets only needed a 25% um, conversion rate. It required 25% in order for it to be worth it to go for it. Looking at a fourth and goal from the two with two two bad teams with two bad defenses as well, probably going to be around 46, 48, 50 percent. So your required conversion rate is half of what you're expected to convert there. So that's just pretty much a no brainer to go for it. Put the game away. If you don't get it, you're still forcing a Jaguars offense that's not good to go you know, 60 yards to get a decent field goal. Um, you know, that would be a long, long 50s. Uh, or high 50s field goal, 65, 70 yards, get something a little bit more manageable. And, you know, just the the risk or the reward you have of being able to just pretty much close it out right there outweighs the the risk of them, you getting stopped and them going down to score. Right. A, a, lot of it, a lot of it always gets to a lot of these coaching decisions we talk about get to the question of winning the game versus extending the game. And the coaches make decisions that extend the game more than coaches make decisions sometimes that win the game. Yeah, so that that one, like I said, Middleton, for the most part, was really good. That was his one big error. Um, but they were able to come away with the win, so looks a little bit <laughs> – Looks a little bit better, although it wasn't the, the correct decision to do that. And then number one, we talked about the Packers, Matt LaFleur at the end of the game there, just giving the ball up, giving the Browns a chance to win it, basically with no time left on the clock. They were The defense was able to come up pretty big, um, but it did not. I know I see we've got a question about Dan Campbell's decision to kick that field goal. Late. Yeah, I wrote actually a note comes in at number to six. talk about it. I wrote a note to talk about it because um, – I think the issue is that Detroit's win probability was so low at that point mm -hmm. that the percentage of win probability lost is less than 3.7%. And it doesn't yeah, we make had them, We had them at 15%. If they go for it, it was a 3.5% error. So it's just outside the top five at number six. I mean, there could be an argument to putting that one over in there and taking out, you know, Vic Fangio, number three, that fourth and one at his own 17. I would think that, you know, the Dan Campbell one's probably, or I would say is worse than, than that one. Um, but yeah, just outside the top five. So really close. It's interesting because he did think through it. He defended the decision in the press conference this morning by saying, I had a feeling that Arthur Smith was going to be conservative and we were going to be able to stop the run and get the ball back. And Atlanta has a bad running game. Uh, you know, Coral Patterson's been good this year, but mostly on receiving. And 
he was counting on the other coach being conservative, which is not the worst decision in the world. But overall, it's unlikely you're going to get that close to the goal line again. Now, as it turns out, they did get that close to the goal line again, but it's unlikely that you are like your knowledge at the time, like you're on the eight, like you're unlikely to get this close again. Go for it. Um, and the way that they got the ball back, you can't count on either being, a, I think it was an Atlanta fumble on what the second play or something that is not even like, they Oh, stopped I think so. Yeah, I wasn't watching that game, but yeah. Yeah. So they ended up something you can't count on, but you said with, with Dan Campbell, that's one of those guys, even though it's his first year based on what he's done this year, I would kind of give him the, maybe a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. Um, but still that one is one that I think is he's not been a conservative he a in the month. there. He's made yeah. a lot of good decisions. He's been yeah. aggressive. Hitchhiker's Pie says, how much of the Packers' decision is considered bad because of how efficient the Packers' offense is? If it was an average offense, would going for it still have been recommended? So, yeah, I can um, actually answer that one. The way we look at it, what we'll do, um, and we've talked about it on here before, looking at, you know, for every error that we run, we look at the a counter case. So basically, you know, we have it accounting for the Packers offense, the Packers defense, Browns offense, Browns defense. What we then do is we take every single play and we'll run it as if the offense has the worst offense and the worst defense in the league and say, hey, all right, is this still an error? If so, we call it a high confidence error. So in this situation, even if we look at it that way, looking at the counter case where Green Bay is absolutely horrible, the Browns are really good. It still comes out, it looks like, to almost a 7% error to to punt in that situation, even if you're a really bad team against a very good team. So, yeah, the Packers' offense makes it a bigger error, um, but the directional decision to go for it is, is going to be the same regardless of who's out there. All right, let's talk a little bit about Monday Night Football, the Ian Book Show. <laughs> dun, 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 yeah. dun. This Ian one is one of the most despised prospects I've ever seen. Uh, someone pointed out the only prospect that has probably gotten worse response on Twitter who was drafted in the first four rounds was Christian Hackenberg. Yeah, that's, um, Dolphins have won six straight. And I picked before the season, I picked both the Dolphins and the Patriots to make the playoffs. And it's possible that they do. You would need the Dolphins would need to win out, and the Patriots would need to beat the Jaguars, and then the Patriots, if they lose to the Dolphins, would need a little bit of help to get in. But it's possible that both the Patriots and the Dolphins make the playoffs. Uh, market is currently at Dolphins minus three. I will point out about this game the incredible difference in pass DVOA this year. The uh, Tua Tagovailoa is at 1.6%, whereas Jacoby Brissett was at minus 21. Wow. And for the Saints, Jameis Winston was at plus 14. Trevor Simeon, because of one really good game, is at minus 4. Taysom Hill, minus 31. And Ian Book, probably worse than that. So this does, is not two equal seven and seven teams. Mm -hmm. Like even though DVOA has the Saints higher than the Dolphins, if you consider only the two Dolphins, and if you consider Ian Book, like our pick is Miami minus three. Yeah, and that's ours comes up to Miami minus three as well. So we're pretty much both spot on there. Um, 
you know, the, the Saints defense, I think if it's going to be a close game, obviously the Saints defense is going to be able, is going to hold Miami because we're not, you know, not really knowing. It's really just a lot of uncertainty. You know, our model I mean, has minus three, but it's really hard to know because it's a lot of judgment. Like I said, based on we don't know what to expect from Ian Book. Um, right. And also how much do you, do we adjust? I don't think we adjusted for COVID people missing from COVID, but I believe the Saints have more COVID absences, not just the quarterbacks, but defensive players. The Saints have more COVID absences than the Dolphins do. So, I mean, I'm I'm actually pretty confident about the Dolphins in this game. Yeah, and we've – so the spread, we don't really see much. The the, the total, we stray a little bit from the market, but it's kind of – so the last – it was at 37 and a half. Last I saw it total, which is very low. We have it at – it comes out to 43 points. So while, it, you know, it seems like we're taking the over, one thing to note that I that in looking at this is that 43 points is tied for our lowest total projection of the week. So it's really hard, I think, to project an NFL game for under 40 points just based on the way scoring is. This is one that is easy to, but with the uncertainty and not adjusting for COVID, like you said, we have it at 43, but it is still our lowest of the week. So, you know, it, it's still saying it's going to be a low-scoring game. Um, so interesting there. And then, you you know, big game, playoff game for both. I don't know, you might know, you probably know how it works because looking at the standings where Miami is is currently 11th, if they win, they go to eight and seven. They have the tiebreaker over they Baltimore. They would move into the, the seventh spot. So, so, so they would, since they have the tiebreaker over Baltimore, even though Las Vegas has the tiebreaker over Miami, they still move up ahead of Baltimore. I That's believe right. so. Yes, they cool. because of the way it works when you have three teams, and then when you have two teams, mm-hmm. I believe Miami would have the seventh spot. But Miami, their last two games are tough at Tennessee and then New England. So it's going to be tough. There, we we have we only have them at like ten percent to make the playoffs right now. Um, but obviously, winning this game will is the first step. Yep, yeah, huge for New Orleans as well. They're what's in at eighth. They would move up. They lost to Philly, so I think they would stay eighth even if they win. Um, but would be you know you know can't really pretty much every game now at this point on seems like it's just a huge playoff game for both teams. And then looking at this one, the market, um, everyone, no surprise, is heavy on Miami. 82% of the bets, 72, 71% of the money, not you know much there in, in the way of, of people backing New Orleans. So pretty much Miami is the, the pick here, I think, all the way, pretty much across the board. Yeah, I, I feel pretty strongly about it. But, hey, if Ian Book surprises us all and has a big game, I do have him on a DFS team, so – Go Ian Book, I guess. Yeah, I think I put him in my loser league, so I'm counting out. I'm going the opposite. <laughs> I have him in the loser league also, but I also had Jake Fromm, and Jake Fromm had an awesome loser yeah. league. I thought I had Jake Fromm, and I checked, and I did not have him in there. I, th- I thought I went with Book and Fromm, but oh well. All right. Uh, thank you all for watching the show today. No matter where you're watching us, please subscribe to watch more shows for the rest of the year and then into 2022 tomorrow 1 p.m eastern Derek Clasman Scott Spratt with the last Tuesday fantasy show to get you ready for probably your playoff final hopefully you pick up the right players that help you win when all of your best players get COVID which is what's happening to a lot of people uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show, especially if you're listening to us as a podcast afterwards. Um, 
God, I haven't even gotten to. Don't forget, we're still selling FO Plus subscriptions for 99 cents a week for an annual subscription. Get all of our stats and splits. Get picks against the spread. Get fantasy projections and fantasy research data, all kinds of stuff. 99 cents a week for an annual subscription. Go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or click the link in the description of this show. Thank you all for watching. Thank you for those of you who commented and asked questions. I will be back on Wednesday with Mike Tanya for the Ask Us Anything show, uh, probably with Rob Weintraub cavelling about the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, until then, thank you, Ian, and I leave you all in the pleasant hands of Scott and Derek for tomorrow. Enjoy Monday Night Football tonight, the Ian Book Experience. <laughs>